Next, the golden days of radio. This is Frank Brzee inviting you to join me for the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past, headlining some of the world's most famous personalities. On this program, we are featuring Fred Allen, Fibber McGee and Molly, and Tom Howard, George Shelton, Harry McNaughton, and Lulu McConnell with It Pays to Be Ignorant. Fred Allen was a comedian who had no peers. As a comedian, a humorist, and a writer, he was tops. Here's a sequence from his show, Town Hall Tonight, broadcast December 29, 1937. The Town Hall News sees nothing, shows all. New York City, New York. Christmas Day has come and gone, leaving in its wake thousands of disgruntled home folks who are dissatisfied with Christmas presents they received. Many recipients of inappropriate gifts each year never have a chance to give vent to their feelings. Tonight, we afford several persons, double-crossed by Santa Claus, an opportunity to get even. We hope Santa is listening in. Town Hall News interviews the outstanding Yuletide sawheads of 1937. First, Mr. Titus Filch, freelance, freelance kleptomaniac. Mr. Filch. Hiya, Bob. Hiya, Bunch. Hi, all. Hi, hi. Uh, just, uh, just a minute, Mr. Filch. Did you, uh, did you have a Merry Christmas? I ought to punch you right in the nose. Well, I, uh... Don't say Merry Christmas to me. Well, kleptomaniacs generally thrive at Christmas. What happened? Well, I'm in a department store doing my Christmas shoplifting early. Uh-huh. I'm just snatching a piece of luggage when, whammo, I feel something going down the back of me collar like a skyrocket. A cold chill? A cop's hand, bud. A cop's hand, eh? Quick and you can say, Chris Kringle, I'm stooging for a judge. What did you get for Christmas? Ninety days. That's tough, all right. Yeah, I snag a Boston bag and they're sending me to Atlanta. They got no sense of direction. Thank you, Mr. Phillips. One of... One, <laughs> a sort of a verbal undertow as Mr. Filch left here. One of the bitterest Christmas casualties was Mr. Danforth Twaddle. <laughs> you, uh... <laughs> you are... <laughs> You are mad, aren't you, Mr. Twaddle? I'm boiling, mister. I ought to wear a glass hat. I'm poking. Did you, uh... (laughs) Did you get a raw deal? I'm so bind up, two of my toes are clinkers. Well, what induced it? (laughs) (laughs) Mr., uh... Mr. Twaddle is being paid by the hour. We can't have him wait for that laugh at... (laughs) Thing like that would run into money. Well, what induced this, uh, this, uh, impromptu tantrum, Mr. Twaddle? Nobody ever gives me nothing for Christmas, see? So I generally buy myself a couple of quarts of rum, see? I lock myself in and get plastered. See? <laughs> see? After two quarts, I'm cockeyed, brother. You miss Christmas entirely? Well, generally the firecrackers wake me up. Firecrackers on Christmas? What Christmas? I never come to it till Fourth of July. But what upset you so greatly this year? Well, nobody give me nothing this Christmas as usual. So I buys me annual two quarts of rum. 
A dame jostles me at the counter, our packages gets mixed up, and I walks out with the wrong bundle. What happened? I get up to me room, me tongue's hanging out, I open the bundle. Instead of the rum? I got two flannel step-ins and a girdle. A dilemma. <laughs> Aren't we all? And thank you, Mr. Twaddle. Still another ardent yuletide hater is Miss Ophelia Rinko. Were you... Were you... <laughs> Were you disappointed in your present, Miss uh, Rinko? A bachelor girl, 52, ain't interested in her present, mister. It's her future. You were upset this Christmas. I'm upset every Christmas. Why? Well, ever since I was a little girl. That's before your time. I can imagine. I can well imagine. I heard about Santa Claus coming down folks' chimneys. Well, you didn't take it seriously, did you? Not till I was 40. I was still an old maid, so I began to wonder if Santa Claus was single. Santa Claus was your last hope, huh? Every Christmas for the last 20 years, I've been dolling up, preparing midnight lunch for two, and sitting by the chimney all night, hoping. Have you any uh, message for your public? Yes, sir. Tell them up to now there ain't no Santa Claus. I'm sorry if there's anything I can... Uh, Are you single, mister? Thank you, Miss Rinko. An unusual misunderstanding practically ruined Christmas for Mr. Dalrymple Offal. What marred the festive day for you, Mr. Offal? I'll never get over this Christmas, brother. What occurred? Well, you see, I'm contact man for the city garbage department. Contact man for the garbage department? Yeah, I stand in the wagon and contact the cans as the boys pass them up. This <laughs> is uh, sort of a vice president in charge of residue. I see. You've got to be strong to hold a job like that. Strong ain't the word, brother. I'm... And that's putting it mildly, <laughs> Mr. Arthur. But uh, what spoils your Christmas? Well, like this, every night after work, you see, I drive home with three other guys, and it's a closed car. Have there... <laughs> Have there been any complaints? Well, nobody's come right out with it, but this year the boys pitched in and gave me a bottle of something called, uh, Eau de Cologne. You mean Eau de Cologne? Yeah, it's French. I asked the guy who was selling Paris garters to translate it for me. What did he? Yeah, he did. He, he said uh, Eau de Cologne was French for old Hennessy. French for old Hennessy, huh? And you drank it? In two gulps, brother. Have you noticed any distressing after effects? Well, I exhaled in a pool room today and three guys tipped their hats. No kidding. I don't know. Look, get a, get a load of this. Get a load of this. Delightful, and thank you, Mr. Offal. Fibber McGee and Molly were a favorite of millions for almost three decades. Their Tuesday night show on NBC was the number one show in the country during the 40s and 50s. And now here's one of their routines broadcast on NBC's monitor in 1961. McGee, I don't know why we're even bothering to stand in line here at the post office. I'm sure they'll never accept this package the way you've wrapped it. They will so too, Molly. That's a perfect job. Except for the fact that we didn't have any brown wrapping paper and I had to use a piece of oil cloth. You also ran out of string and had to stick the ends together with two wads of chewing gum. 
Molly, there's nothing illegal about sending chewing gum through the mail. You've got it confused with firecrackers and bombs with the wicklet and all stuff like that. Well, I just want you to be psychologically prepared to have it rejected, dearie. I don't have to be psychiatrically prepared for anything. Molly, you seem to forget that I'm an American citizen. Well, I hadn't forgotten it, but I admit it may have slipped my mind for the moment. Well, I'm not letting it slip the mind of that feather head at the counter up there. The taxes that I and a couple of other fellow citizens pay keep this post office in business. And being as how I put up the money for the whole thing, I'm going to mail this package wrapped any gosh darn way I feel like wrapping it. Oh, my God. <laughs> don't get so excited, shouty. People are staring at you. I don't care if they are. I just happen to think that I'm not just an ordinary citizen. I'm also a war veteran. I was afraid you'd remember that. Molly, a man don't easily forget risking his life to make the world safe for the American Post Office Department. <laughs> McGee, how can you possibly have risked your life when you spent the whole war peeling potatoes at a camp in Massachusetts? Never mind going into the details of my heroism, Molly. The fact remains, if it hadn't been for me, Kaiser Wilhelm would be in this post office today. Well, if he was, I don't think he'd let you mail a package wrapped in oil cloth. That's besides the point. I'm a national hero, and when I get up to that window, I'm going to remind that young punk that I ought to be treated like such. Why the very idea... Oh, my gosh. What's the matter, McGee? Oh, my God. You're turning white as a sheet. Now, here, Molly, you mail the package. I'll wait for you in the car. I thought you wanted to do it and put that clerk in his place. Oh, I know, but I, I just noticed that one of the most wanted criminals on that poster over there is a dead ringer for me. Yes? Look at it. Why, if that clerk catches sight of my face, the whole thing will wind up with him putting me in my place. And the place is going to pickle the Alcatraz. <laughs> McGee, the post office rejects that package you're trying to mail to your cousin Avery every time you rewrap it. Why don't you give up? Oh, no, Molly. That's just what those featherheads down at the post office are hoping I'll do. But I'm too smart for them. Well, if you are, I certainly haven't seen any evidence of it up to this point. Your cousin Avery's birthday is only two days off, and you've still got the package. <laughs> Not the only thing I've got, kiddo. I've also got a copy of the Postal Laws and Revolutions that I picked up down at the library, too. I'm going to wrap this package according to the book so they can't turn it down. What does it say you have to do? Well, the first rule is that the combined length and girth of the package can't be more than 72 inches. Well, the uh, length can't be too much longer than from one end to the other. <laughs> I don't have any girth. On account of it's a croquet set. You don't use one of them in croquet. Oh, the can understand that one. Not if they only speak English, they can. Well, I still say I'm in the clear. What's next? In the case of breakable items, the addressee must mark the package fragile. This end up. Oh, Molly, don't bother me with that stuff. Avery is the addressee. That just means he's got to write a lot of stuff on the package after he gets it. Well, if he's the addressee, then who's the recipient? Neither one of us. It's only when you go into bankruptcy that you have a recipient. <laughs> oh, no, McGee, that's an executor. <laughs> Molly, an executor is a fellow who conducts the hangings at the state pen. I thought that was an elocutionist. No, 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 no. 
An allocutionist is a fellow you call in to get rid of cockroaches. <laughs> oh, oh, are you confused? That's an exhibitionist. <laughs> Dad, Rat of Molly, I'm not going to chew the fat with you about this any longer. I'm leaving with this croquet set right now. But, McGee, you can't mail it that way. You haven't rewrapped it yet. I'm not going to mail it, Molly. I'm going to take it back to the bon town and exchange it for a dictionary so you can read up on the proper use of words. <laughs> I'm just getting tired of having you walk around here talking like an ignominious. A popular quiz show of the 40s was Dr. I.Q., and Henry Morgan presented a spoof of that show. Here's one of my favorite excerpts. Mr. Stanton in the left orchestra. I have a lady, Doctor. Eighteen silver dollars to that lady if she can tell me what Juliet said to Romeo from the balcony. She said, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? Oh, I'm sorry, but I asked you to tell me what she said from the balcony. You said it from the orchestra. <laughs> okay, so I'll go up in the balcony and say it. No, you've already said it. Well, I just thought of something else to say, and I can say this right to your face. You Stop that woman's way. mouth with 18 silver dollars about the part of gum. Next contestant, Mr. Jordan in the right orchestra. I have a gentleman, Doctor. Well, silver dollars to that gentleman if he can answer this question. What two presidents had the same name? Uh, Roosevelt. Oh, I'm sorry, but I asked you for two presidents, and you gave me only one. <laughs> well, I, I mean Theodore and Franklin. Oh, I'm sorry. But Theodore and Franklin are not the same name. But a box of delicious powders are come to that gentleman. And you... You both try Carter's bubble gum, too. And now, one of my favorite programs. The quiz show to end all quiz shows. It pays to be ignorant. When is a watermelon a vegetable? When you drop it and it goes squash. Correct. Pay that man $11. If a little Chinese boy has a toothache, what time is it? Tooth thirty. Tooth thirty. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Pay that man twelve dollars because it pays to be ignorant. Thank you. Thank you, Johnny, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, here is that quiz program again with an IQ so low they struck oil. We, we have a board of experts who played Carnegie Hall last Sunday afternoon. Monday, the place was sprayed with DDT. <laughs> First, we have the celebrated author, Mr. Harry McNaughton, who has just written a book entitled The Return of Nylons or Counterattack. <laughs> Here he is, Mr. Harry McNaughton. Thank you. I have a poem, Mr. Howard. Yeah, I know. It takes two to make a marriage. A bachelor said to his brother, You're right, the married man replied. A single girl and her mother. Ah, fine. <laughs> Very fine. Yeah. Little something I copied off the side of a freight car. Okay, you should have left it there. Next, we have a woman whose face looks like she slept in it. <laughs> and forgot to make it up. A woman... A woman who still uses the old-fashioned straight razor when she shaves, <laughs> Miss Lolo McConnell. You know, Mr. Howard, I'm all tired out tonight. Yeah? I cleaned my whole house today. Mm -hmm. I even washed all the wallpaper. You washed all the wallpaper? Yep. And did I have a hard time getting it back on the walls again? <laughs> Naturally. All right, next we have a man. Next we have a man who made a name for himself, but he doesn't like it. A man, a man whose father was a bartender, but he forgot to put a head on him, Mr. George Shuck. 
Did you read about the new automobiles that are coming out, Mr. Howard? No. Yeah, you press a button and a sign appears on the back saying, I'm turning to the right or I'm turning to the left. I see. Then they have a special sign on the cars for women drivers. What does that sign say? Guess what I'm going to do now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've just met the experts, folks. So here is the first question for this evening. Let's see if we can get it. Can you tell me the name of the man for whom the overture from William Tell was named? Mr. Howard, is that a musical question? Well, you could call it a musical question. I could? Yes. Oh, thank you so much, Mr. Howard. Mr. Howard said I could call it a musical question. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Ah, oh, play! Miss McNaughton, do you mind if I call you an imbecile? If you promise not to call it to anyone else. <laughs> you know, I'm the jealous type. All right. Yeah. The overture from William Tell is named after whom? What's his first name? What are you talking about? Well, didn't you say the overture of William Tell was named after whom? Certainly. Well, what whom? What's his first name? Is it Harry whom or Frank whom or what? Will you cut it out? For whom the bell's tolled? Does that satisfy you? I don't know him. You don't know what you're talking... You don't know what you're talking about. No, well, you don't know what I'm talking about either. You said it. I know I said it. Do you know Miss McConnell? No, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't mean that. Do you know anything about the overture from William Tell? No. He never made any overtures to me. (laughs) As far as I'm concerned, he's a perfect gentleman. I'm sorry to say. You're sorry to say. (laughs) Mr. Hart, tell me, did you say William Tell? William Tell. Yes, I know his brother down on Wall Street. Tell tell and tell. Tell and tell. (laughs) Comes of a very good stock. I see. All right, curb yourself. Let's get... Is this William Tell chap, the fellow who shot an apple off his son's head? That's with, right. With a bow and arrow? That's right. You mean he shot his son's head off with an apple? No, no. He shot his son's apple off with a head. <laughs> Who's that? Well, you wait a minute. Look, this man was the next first shot with a bow and arrow. To prove it, he shot an apple off his son's head without hitting the head. Oh, come, come. He couldn't have been such an expert shot if he missed his head. Look, he, he didn't want to hit his head. Why? Mr. Sheldon, why were you born? That's a good question. Who sent that in? I say, you know, you know, speaking about shooting, I, I make some very good shots out on the golf course. Yeah, what kind of shots? Well, you see, instead, instead of using a wooden tee to tee off with, I, I use my watch for a tee. Yeah. And, and I shoot the golf ball off the face of the watch. You, you do? Yeah. That's clever. Of course, I, I lose a lot of watches that way. I imagine. <laughs> Time marches on. Ah, oh, cut it out. You know, I'm quite a shot myself, if I may say so. You may say so. Oh, thank you. I'm quite a shot myself. Oh, I know. You know, once I won a silver cup. When did you win a silver cup? And another thing. When did you win a silver cup? And another thing. When did you win a silver cup? Boy, I wish I had. Would I have you in a spot? Yeah. Thank you. Here's the next question. In the nursery rhyme which starts, Old Mother Hubbard went to the cupboard, can you tell me what she went to the cupboard for? Mr. Howard, did you say Old Mother Hubbard? That's right. How old was she? Oh, please, who cares? What difference does it make? We're told that the woman was old. That should be enough. Certainly. Besides, how are you going to find out how old any woman is? You're perfectly right, Miss McConnell. You're perfectly right. Oh, I got brains. Uh, I'm not just a pretty face. Oh, no. <laughs> You're not just a face either, I'll tell you that. 
You know what Mother Hubbard went to the cupboard for, Mr. Shelton? Certainly not. It's none of my business. I didn't go around snooping to see what people have got in their cupboard. I'm no FBI man. Uh, you know, I used to be an FBI man. You did? Mm. Federal Bureau of Investigation? No, Fuller Brush Incorporated. <laughs> I, I made a couple of bucks. All right, the question's about nursery rhymes. Look, let me help you out. Mother Hubbard had a dog. Oh, I have a dog. Yeah. I take him out every morning for a walk. Oh, really? Do you have him on a leash? On a leash? No, I own him outright. You own him outright, I see. No lend leash. No lend leash. Ah, cut it out. As I said before, Mother Hubbard had a dog. She went to the cupboard. Who went to the cupboard? The dog? No, Mother Hubbard. What'd she go to the cupboard for? That's what I'm asking you. Well, I'm not going to tell you. Oh, that's good. Do you know Mr. Shelton? No, that's why I'm not going to tell him. <laughs> good for you. Good for you, old boy. If I didn't know, I wouldn't tell him either. No. Mother Hubbard went to the cupboard to get something for her dog. Look, Miss McConnell, what do you get at the butcher shop? Insults. Insults. <laughs> Maybe I can help you out. Let me give you a clue. Don't you ever have any bones around your house? No. But after looking at you, there ought to be plenty around your house. I see what you mean. You know, I remember one time I got a bone stuck in my throat. You got a bone stuck in your hat, too. I... <laughs> you know, you know, Mr. Howard, I, I have a very, very smart dog. You have a smart dog? Oh, you know that I, I taught him to sit up and beg? Yeah. Mm, first day, he took in seven bucks. He did? Clever. <laughs> Please. Oh, I gave him a dollar. And... You know, I know a lady paid $10,000 for a dog. $10,000 for a dog? Yeah. Well, that's more than I'm worth. Uh-huh. Well, some dogs are worth more than others. <laughs> you know, you know, our dog had 12 pups yesterday. 12 pups? Yeah. My word. What's your dog's name? We call him Motorboat. It's nothing but pup, 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 pup. God, Folks, that brings us right up to the finish line, so says uh, Mr. Pelagi. So we'll just have to call it quits until this time next week. We'd like to have you all to listen again. Now, here's that gargling baritone to tell you just what we mean when we say... It pays to be ignorant, to be dumb, to be dumb, to be ignorant. It pays to be ignorant just like me. I took my girl to dinner. We had a wonderful. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Golden Days of Radio. Now here's a question. What's right with America? The Human Goals document issued by the Department of Defense lays it on the line when it declares that we must strive, quote, to rise to the high level of responsibility as his talent and diligence will take him, unquote. Opportunity of the individual is an important facet of our way of life. Let's keep it that way. 
This is Frank Brzee in Hollywood, California, inviting you to join me next time for more shows and personalities from radio's golden days. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service. <laughs>